When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that consistently and repeatedly brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I mean, McGarry, and with me as always is Duncan Castles, the man who broke the story in the Sunday Times last weekend about Manchester United's increasing interest in employing Zinedine Zidane as a replacement to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Duncan, you've been all over this, and I understand you have an update for us here on the transfer window. Yeah, I, this is what I wrote for the Sunday Times is that Manchester United are trying to persuade Zidane. Um, to take the job and be Solskjaer's replacement. It's it's a logical move for United in the sense that he is the biggest name, um, highest status coach available without compensation at present. Obviously, they had those um, initial conversations with Antonio Conte um, in the wake of the 5-0 home defeat to Liverpool, one of two um, absolutely horrendous home performances at Solskjaer's put together in the last few weeks and have, have resulted in the majority of the Manchester United support demanding a change and very prominent members of the Manchester United dressing room uh, telling friends that the coaching has to change if they're if this team is to achieve its potential. Um, they stepped away from Conte for reasons we've discussed in previous podcasts. Conte then went and took the Tottenham Hotspur job, removed himself from the market. Um, they are holding and taking their time over the change because they want to have someone in place when they dismiss Solskjaer. Um, Zidane, initially the briefing from his camp had been that he was not interested in coaching the Premier League, not co- interested in coaching Manchester United at this point in his career, having stepped down for a second time from the Real Madrid job in the summer, um, enjoying a sabbatical, has an interest in coaching France. The possibility is that Didier Deschamps will stand down after um, the Qatar World Cup uh, next winter, next European winter, and that would allow Zidane to do that job. United haven't accepted that um, as a, an impossibility to hire him. And um, they've been hoping and using uh, relationships that exist within their camp um, with Sudan. And there's two very prominent um, individuals here, Rafael Varane, one of their three big summer signings, um, one of the individuals arriving at the camp, which has put additional pressure on Solskjaer and had the Glazers coming to the conclusion, a story you broke in on the podcast several weeks ago, that Solskjaer wasn't delivering the sum of the parts from the, the over billion euro um, transfer fee commitment squad that they put together for him. Um, and Cristiano Ronaldo, another of those summer signings, both obviously 
have played for Zidane, both have praised Zidane as a coach and as a manager. Um, both have won multiple titles under Zidane at Real Madrid. Uh, they have good relationships with him. And uh, I, I th- you have a channel of communication there. Um, you have individuals who could be used to persuade Zidane it's the right time to come and individuals who can say to Zidane, look, this is a dressing room which is ready for change. Um, we can help you with the transition. Um, obviously, an issue here is that Zidane does not speak English well and that one of his concerns has been, do I come to the Premier League um, and manage an English club when I don't have the linguistic skills which are you know, generally credited to be very important in his particular man management style? I think Graham Hunter has been on the podcast and on several occasions and described Zidane as a football whisperer, um, someone who, who can talk to players and elicit better performances from them using his status, using his knowledge of the game. Um, and clearly something that United need at present. I think it's not just the players who think that Solskjaer is failing to get the best from, from the uh, resources available to him. It's a general um, assessment of any uh, anyone who understands football and watches what they're, they're seeing on the pitch being delivered by uh, the Norwegian. Um, where does it Dan stand on this? Well, guidance I've had um, from second source, um, a friend of Sedan this week, is that he is interested. Um, he, having had these entreaties made to him, he's looking at the prospect of taking Manchester United. It's something that intrigues him. He has not definitively uh, decided. I am not going to do this um, in the way that's been described a, a few weeks ago. It is a, I'm told, a live consideration for him. However, complication and, and the main complication I'm being told about is that his wife, Veronique, is against the move. That She does not want to move to Manchester, does not want to move to England. And uh, and obviously a very important relationship and a, and a person who I'm told whose um, advice is extremely important to Sedan. So that is going to be a hurdle that will have to be overcome if United are to get Zidane. Um, if not, uh, there are individuals what we've already talked about in this podcast who um, they are looking at. Maurizio Pochettino, long-term target, Brendan Rodgers. Um, Ian, you had the story several weeks ago about Brendan Rodgers um, and uh, uh, the possibility and, and the interest in him from Manchester City, but also his interest in, in Manchester United and, and pre- preparations he's been making um, to eventually move to Manchester and work there. Both of those individuals obviously under contract at present. Um, both would be very expensive to extract from their clubs, Leicester City and Paris Saint-Germain. Um, Pochettino, we've told you before, has been keen to come back to the Premier League. He tried to get back to Tottenham in the summer when he was one of those <laughs> vast array of managers that Daniel Levy and Fabio Paratici tried to hire to uh, to be the long-term and inverted commas successor to Jose Mourinho. Um, interesting, I think, to look at this weekend's um, newspapers in England and there's a quite a prominent report saying that Maurizio Pochettino is open to returning to the Premier League at the end of uh, this season. So I think you have an echo there of what we've told you about Pochettino. Um, 
question for United is one, can they convince Zidane? And two, how long can they wait? Um, how long can they sit with Solskjaer in charge? Um, there is a brief from Manchester United that they are prepared to stick with him. Um, but we know that um, the Glazers are very concerned about Champions League qualification. And uh, if the results continue in the way they have been and the performances continue in the way they have been, then Champions League qualification is going to become difficult for them. And, uh, and you know, this process of switching to a new coach, of of uh, rebooting the cultural reboot. And I, th- and I think with Zidane, it's important to note that in contrast to Conte, he fits that cultural reboot story that PR story that the, the Manchester United have sold to their supporters because he does have a track record of uh, identifying youth. Rafael Varane is one of the examples here, interestingly, and um, using them in his first team. So you could you could sell that that Varane is a continuation of the reboot um, if you were able to hire him. Just for a second, Duncan, I thought you were going to say that Zidane's wife, Veronique, didn't want Harry Maguire as in her half. Not that she didn't want to live in Manchester. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On the subject of Zidane, Duncan, uh, I've been speaking to people with regards to the situation of Paul Pogba, one, of course, which has been running and running, uh, and indeed uh, parallel with his contract running down towards the end of this season. Uh, strangely enough, it turns out that Mina Raiola, his agent, is playing a double hand, as they would say, in uh, blackjack. On the one hand, he has had conversations with Manchester United and made a certain list of demands with regards to Pogba's potential move in January. One of them is that on the basis of what he cost Manchester United, then the fee should be no more than what is the remainder of his contract compared to the money they paid, which would see him valued at under €20 million, which seems amazing, but there you go. And also that should Pogba leave in January, then he should be paid a loyalty, irony in brackets, bonus that he's due at the end of his contract in July, um, that we believe amounts around €4.5 million net. So those are the terms Mino has set for Pogba to leave and for United to get some money back. But obviously that's a pittance compared, Duncan, to what they have invested in Pogba over the last four and a half years. But with regard to Zidane, uh, Pogba himself uh, is keen to play under Zidane. We know that he wanted to go to Real Madrid when Zidane was in his second spell there. And uh, that would certainly be a game changer for Pogba, if he thought that Zidane was going to come in. Pogba's one of the players unhappy with Solskjaer as a senior member of the squad, uh, along with Bruno Fernandes. And uh, Pogba, therefore, would be open to changing his mind about leaving United should Zidane become the head coach, which, in a way, is not exactly surprising, given that uh, Zidane obviously has links to the legend of the French national team, and Pogba sees himself as uh, not on a par with Zidane, but certainly the potential to be just as important a player in the history of French football as Zidane is. I'd say this, Duncan, at the current time, Pogba earns £290,000 net per week 
He's looking to up that to around 500,000. And Manchester United is probably one of the only clubs in the world who could afford, if they really wanted to, to pay that amount of money. Obviously, there are financial difficulties in Spain, Madrid and Barcelona, potential candidates for, for Pogba Sinclair struggling financially, would struggle to do a deal, even if he was available on a free. And Paris Saint-Germain would be third choice. Do you see them, the two uh, things tied, inter intertwined, as it were, Duncan, in terms of uh, if Zidane comes, Pogba's chances of staying are much greater? Pogba and Raul are in a very strong position here. Pogba in particular, we told you about the, the, the difficulties Raul has and the pressure he's under to get um, Pogba a very strong contract at wherever um, he is next season, whether he remains at Manchester United or whether he moves to one of the other clubs that he'd prefer to go to. I think there's no question that his dream is to play for Real Madrid. Um, and if Real Madrid were to make him the offer... Um, and the financial terms are right, that's where he would go. He's also happy to go back to Juventus. We've told you that um, Juventus uh, and the coach there um, are would be interested in bringing him back if the circumstances were right. Again, free transfer would assist that process. United have got themselves into a position where the, the cards, the hands are all with Pogba in the sense that they can try and, and sell and January, but unless that deal suits Pogba in, in terms of the finances of it and the club he's going to, Pogba can just say, no, thank you very much. I'll wait until the summer and you can forget about your transfer fee and you can just see what you get from me from the from the last six months. What would make a difference, of course, is if they were able to convince Sudan that it's the right job to take and able to convince Sudan's wife that Manchester is the, the right place to move to because then you do have that relationship and um, uh, you have that history of Zidane trying to bring Pogba to Real Madrid. Um, you have Pogba's desire to play for Zidane. I'm not saying it's the most important thing, his career decision, but suddenly you have um, a change of coach to someone he's wanted to work for. And I think more importantly, and, and this this is a crucial thing and this is the, the thing that's putting so much pressure on United to change Solskjaer is you change the vista of the team. Paul Pogba wants to be winning trophies. He wants to be part of a side that are winning league titles and competing for the Champions League. Um, he hasn't been that player at Manchester United. They're, as we've said, on their longest trophy drought um, for over three decades um, under Solskjaer's management. He's not the only individual frustrated there. Um, it's not hard to imagine what Cristiano Ronaldo's thoughts are on the state of the Manchester United team he's come back to. Again, not hard to see what to think what someone like Bruno Fernandes thinks of the way they're performing at the moment. The obvious conclusion is a change of coach will improve their chances to win trophies. So you change the, the coach and you change the dynamic of those discussions. Pogba's not going to throw away a lot of money to stay at Manchester United. But if he can see that um, the team is one that's now being led and moulded in a direction where it can actually fight for the for the Premier League title instead of being embarrassed um, by Liverpool, Manchester City and other um, less storied clubs, then you've got a better chance of retaining him. Yeah. 
well it's gone quiet everywhere else with regards to the next step in the evolution stroke revolution of Newcastle United under their new ownership. The transfer window, of course, will bring you news first and before everyone else on what's actually happening inside St James's Park. Duncan, you have been uh, someone who has led the way with regards to the takeover. Uh, we're now, of course, in the planning phase for the January window, and you have news with regards to possible uh, modus operandi for Newcastle in the January window with regards to uh, where, how they're going to recruit and how they're going to structure that. I just wonder, Duncan, could we see Paul Pogba wearing the black and white of the magpies? <laughs> uh, I think there is very, very little chance of that happening. Um, look, at interesting in the past week that Amanda Stavely has confirmed one of the stories we uh, we broke on the podcast several weeks ago about Newcastle United, that the um, the related party rule that uh, the, the Premier League clubs have brought in on a temporary basis, but they want to make permanent uh, to make it extremely difficult for Saudi Arabia to pump large amounts of sponsorship money into the club came as a major shock to them and uh, disrupted their um you know the early process of being in charge of the club and, and their their you know quite strangulated attempts to bring a, a coach in and, and look for a sports director she said last week that on record this mor- moratorium was so difficult for us we've really taken a big battering and I'm so hoping that we get this lifted as quickly as possible. And interestingly, threw in a, a line to the Newcastle United supporters that once the moratorium goes, then the direct signage will come off when she's referring to the sports direct um, hated signage at uh, St. James's Park. Um, that's one of the problems, the biggest problem, and we, we've talked about this for a long time in the podcast now, is that Stavely, uh, our husband, the rest of PCP Capital um, and the PIF Investment Fund, the Saudi Arabian um, Sovereign Wealth Fund that is providing the vast majority of the money uh, for this takeover, have realised that the club is in a worse state in football terms than they expected when they came in and that relegation is a real possibility um, given the, the poor quality of players they have and the position they're in in the division. How do they solve that? Obviously, January window has become far more important to them. Initially, the idea was to be conservative in the January window. Don't want to do deals then. They're conscious that it's difficult to bring players in mid-season, that prices can be high, availability is limited. But they now feel that they have to um, use the window to its maximum potential to radically change the squad. Um, I'm hearing talk of maybe five, six players coming in. Um, and then the the question is, how do you do that? What's the, what's the best strategy to take players? Now, there has been advice given to them that you should look to Premier League experienced players, um, people who know the division, um, try and delete the, the adaptation from another country issue, which often happens. However, they are conscious, I'm told, that other Premier League clubs are setting up a kind of um, 
agreement between themselves, obviously a silent agreement between themselves, that they will not sell or loan players to Newcastle in the January window in order to make it as difficult for as possible for them to stay in the division. In fact, the feeling at Newcastle United, I'm told, is that the only club that they will easily be able to trade with to take players from is Manchester City. Um, I think you can see for very obvious reasons why Manchester City might be willing to help a club that's been um, targeted for related party sponsorship transactions at present. Um, Manchester City, of course, is not an easy club for them to recruit from in terms of specific players because you're going to have to convince players of uh, quality to come to a team that's fighting relegation. Um, so not simple in that regard. Loan moves would be preferable. Um, I'm told loans with options to buy in the summer, um, maybe options triggered by, by performances being met or for example, by the club staying in the division. Um, but there's also a limitation here in that Premier League rules only allow a club to take two players on loan at any one time and register them for the squad. Um, you can only take one from each Premier League club. So th those two players you loan, if you take them from other Premier League clubs, must come from different Premier League clubs. So it's like just about everything, I think, with this takeover, it's become a lot more complicated than they expected. That they were that they got control of the club a part of the way through a season and at, at quite in quite a rapid pace of time has 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 complicated this whole issue. And and as we've talked about in the podcast, you have two groups who are very inexperienced in actually running football clubs. PCP Capital, you know, Amanda Staveley has this history of, of being the individuals involved in brokering the the purchase of Manchester City by Abu Dhabi and has been involved in trying to make various other takeovers happen since then. But this is the first time she's actually been in charge of a football club. Then you have PIF who have to sign off on all the major decisions and they're making their assessments of what to do. And PIF have never owned or run a football club either. Um, everything's difficult for them. And, uh, and the conclusion they're coming to is they have to get this window right. Um, otherwise, they can end up in the championship rather than being the Premier League club they thought they were buying. I did speak to one owner of a Premier League football club, Duncan, um, on this subject with regards to this silent agreement of a hush-hush under the table, nudge-nudge, wink-wink, did your wife like photography? And um, his opinion on it was... Uh, well, we've seen it all before, most recently with ESL, where, you know, you have a majority of clubs all, you know, acting big and speaking out and saying, we're not having this, we're going to stick together and make sure that, you know, this doesn't affect us adversely. But actually, when it comes to it, um, if a club is made an over-the-odds offer for a player that they neither need nor want, uh, they can cash in, which gives them... Uh, obviously, the wherewithal to invest in their own squad in the January window, then that's exactly what they'll do anyway. So uh, once one breaks ranks, everyone will break ranks. And uh, because obviously getting ahead of the game in January, whether it's you're competing for trophies or you're trying to stay in the division, is something which is obviously of paramount importance. And therefore, um, it becomes the rule of, you know, I'm going to do what's best for my club 
I'm not going to bother about everyone else. And so that's going to be very difficult, I think, for um, even a majority of clubs who agree to a kind of moratorium on uh, allowing Newcastle to take players from their club. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, I think we will see um, quite a lot of uh, market interest with Newcastle recruiting and um, and the money will always in the end win. So I think we will see changes at Newcastle United and boy do they need it with their position in the league. I, I agree, Ian, that if you throw enough money at the problem, there are certain individuals in the Premier League who are likely to accept deals. But what is definitely the case is Newcastle are concerned that this is going to be difficult for them and they're working on the basis that they might only be able to take from Manchester City. I'd be very surprised, for example, if, if Tottenham Hotspur were to loan or sell to Newcastle United, given they are one of the strongest opponents of this takeover. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they will manage to extract a player from them, but I would expect them to be excluded from the list and I'd expect certain clubs to hold to this um, resolution that they won't move players to Newcastle. I think a bigger problem for them is they still don't have the sports director in place. Um, we told you that they've been interviewing candidates um, for some time now. Um, interviews sometimes taking place outside the country, sometimes place, taking place um, by Zoom. Um, there was a report last week that Michael Emanalo um, was close to being appointed. can confirm that there is very significant interest from Newcastle United and Emanalo, but similar to Eddie Howe, I can tell you there's internal dissent about whether Emanalo would be the right person to put into this extremely important rule. Um, they've been advised that uh, of Emanalo's history at Chelsea, um, one of the strangest appointments in, in Premier League history in many ways, in that he was brought in by Avram Grant um, in 2007, basically to be a spy at the training ground for him when he was... Uh, promoted to the manager's role, um, taken from the, the heady heights of Tucson Soccer Academy, um, where he was coaching a, a girls team, to, to being a scout for Avram Grant, uh, later promoted to assistant manager um, a lot for Carlo Ancelotti, um, when Roman Abramovich decided to sack Ray Wilkins against Ancelotti's um, desire uh, and forced uh, Grant into that position. They had to back down on that because Grant didn't have the, the requisite coaching badges. He was a year later, roughly a year later in July 2011, he was made technical director of Chelsea. And the idea is that Emanalo was responsible for um, Chelsea finally getting their academy right. Um, Chelsea building that kind of loan army of players signing talents from around Europe, developing them and making big profits on their transfers. Um, yes, he was the, the titular head of that and he was technical director. But actually, if you talk to people who know the club well, they'll tell you that a lot of this was Marina Granovskaya's um, baby in terms of her um, dealings in the transfer market. And the person who was responsible for the technical work and the hard work on the ground in terms of developing the, the scouting system 
and uh, and monitoring players and and working on on where the best places to put those players would be and development pass with Scott McLachlan. Um, so I believe that the advice to um, certain people in uh, the Newcastle United setup has been if if you want to take the person who made Chelsea so effective in the transfer market, stay away from Emanalo, go after Scott McLachlan. Um, and given that Emanalo left Chelsea in November 2017, immediately joined AS Monaco and left by the infamous mutual consent less than two years later, hasn't worked again in football since. I think there's a, a strong indication that that, that is a, a dangerous appointment for them. A number of other people they've looked at, Paul Mitchell, um, Lewis Campus. Uh, Lewis Campus, I can tell you, has rejected an offer in the, the past two weeks from Genoa in Serie A to be their sports director. He is still uh, available for employment. Um, he turned that offer down, I understand, because they had already hired a coach, um, Andrei Shevchenko, and uh, he told Genoa, if you, you know, if you want to hire me, I need to be in control of the of the, uh, the the coaching process as well as the recruitment process. But this window and this decision over who they um, use the expertise of uh, to run their scouting and to uh, buy players in the transfer market, loan players in the transfer market for January is fundamental to the project. They need to get it right and they need to stay in the division. And so to yet another transfer headache at the top of the Premier League. Ryan Sterling played uh, a major role in both of England's uh, closing World Cup qualifiers uh, with regards to um, his uh, favouritism with Gareth Southgate, one which is not currently replicated by Pep Guardiola. Um, Sterling has become the centre of not quite a tug of war, more like a kind of um, both sides pulling or skipping rope. Um, And by that I mean... Uh, Guardiola is adamant that, um, as always, and quite rightly so, he's in charge of team selection, he's in charge of minutes played by certain players, and of course Sterling has made it clear he's unhappy with his Premier League minutes this season, only three Premier League starts so far, uh, whereas obviously, as I said, he stars for the national team. And also the fact that um, with the World Cup beginning in less than... Uh, one year's time, he obviously intends to retain his position in England's starting eleven. Now, if he's not playing football for Manchester City, that's going to be made more difficult for him. However, um, a meeting or certainly a conversation between his representatives and Manchester City presented two very different opinions on how he is viewed at the club. Yes, the club admitted that uh, Guardiola... Uh, was not necessarily someone who saw him as in favour with regards to starting lineup, and of course with Jack Grealish's one hundred million pound move in the summer, and with Bernardo Silva's excellent form as well, the two attacking midfield roles on either flank are more or less taken. So Guardiola is happy with what he's got with starting lineup in the Premier League and Champions League for that matter, Duncan. However. Uh, the sporting director, Chiki Begeristan, and even Chief Executive, Ferran Soriano, have a different value 
on Sterling to that of Guardiola. While Guardiola is happy to make Sterling a player in waiting, uh, they also they see the bigger picture, and that is that Guardiola is almost ninety percent uh, certain to leave the Etihad in the summer of two thousand and twenty-three when his contract expires. He has said this publicly, and they see replacing Sterling. Um, should he decide to leave and move on as something very difficult to do at a reasonable cost. Therefore, tying Sterling up to a longer-term deal, which he wants, of course, at his age now. He's coming into the prime of his career. He currently earns £300,000 after tax, but wants an upgrade on that uh, for to sign a new extended deal. So his representatives have been told, just let us work on this. We'll see where we get to with the coach, but know that you are valued and that we see you as part of the future of this club rather than wanting to sell you and lose you. Now, that puts the leverage position firmly in Sterling's corner because he knows he's got the backing of the people who will be there beyond Guardiola. He has the disadvantage, Duncan, not a man in favour, and he'll have to do something radical to change that. Now... I think the difficulty I see here with Sterling is, where does he go? Because as we well know, financially, the situation is pretty grim still uh, across the top European leagues and with the elite clubs themselves. So you, you would have to, to get that kind of money, i.e. upwards of half a million a week, you would have to move to one of three clubs potentially, and that would be PSG, Barcelona or Madrid, none of which have actually expressed concrete interest in signing him because there would be a fee involved as well as that contract. And so uh, Sterling seems to me to be between a rock and a hard place with his future. Look, he it's an unusual situation because the coach doesn't like him uh, and doesn't feel he should be a starter having having had the player sign for him before he even joined the club and being central to the way Manchester City have played for most of his time there. He decided last season that Sterling wasn't the best component to the, the attack. Um, in principle, it would have been the opportunity for Sterling to become centre-forward, um, given that they, they didn't manage to sign Harry Kane. They don't have a centre-forward this season, but I think he's demonstrated that that isn't a position he works well in, at least in the, the Manchester City system. And um, he has just two goals in 15 appearances for City this season. So he knows where he stands with Guardiola, that doesn't look like it's going to change unless they have injuries or unless he delivers um, in the limited playing time he has and fights his way back into the team. But this has been going on for a while now, so um, it's difficult. There was the opportunity to move elsewhere. Um, he was offered uh, to Tottenham Hotspur um, as part of the Harry Kane transfer. Um, Sterling didn't want to move to Tottenham Hotspur. So there, there's also the problem of not just not getting playing time, um, but also that he wants this huge salary, a long-term contract, and he wants it at the right kind of club. So one where he has the ability to compete in the way he does Manchester City, which is limited uh, options for him. Um, Barcelona are interested and, and are kind of repeatedly putting the message out in Spain that uh, this is a player we'd like to hire, but we don't want it spend the transfer fee and the wages are high um, and I don't see Barcelona in their current financial state um, 
being able to put together a deal that will satisfy Sterling in terms of those wage demands. I don't see them being able to match the kind of money he's asking for at Manchester City. So for him to go to Spain, which he's talked about as being a career ambition of his, he has gone on record to say he'd like to spend part of his career in Spain. It's going to be Barcelona. He's going to go to Barcelona, which is in in a real state of uh, turmoil and I think have to take a pay cut to do it. So, um, it, yeah, this, this is an unusual um, dilemma, uh, an unusual scenario in, in football and that the the club want to hold the value and see him as, as someone who still has a potential to be an important player for him. But the coach is more important to them. They know the coach won't be there forever, um, but uh, they've got to try and square that that circle um in the, the period of time the coach is there and the negotiation over over Sterling's contract um is taking place. Well Premier League football is back later this week as we are since this is the first podcast of the we'll finish with our hero and villain segment. Duncan I'm gonna go first this time and I'm gonna quote well I'm gonna nominate my hero. Um, someone I met at the age of five years old, the first time, uh, Mr. Bertie Old. And I say Mr. with the greatest of respect. Wonderful human being. Um, life and soul. Uh, I've had the privilege and pleasure of spending much time in his company over the years. Obviously, one of the legendary Lisbon Lions who helped Celtic become the first British team to win a European Cup in 1967. Uh, he popped around my house. Well, actually, it's my parents' house. 1974, uh, along with the League Cup and Billy McNeil, who was a friend of my dad's. And um, I've got this very treasured black and white photograph of me with the League Cup and uh, Caesar and Bertie, uh, my dad here as well, um, standing in our living room in Royal Wishaw. And um, it uh, remains one of a very, well, very prized possession to me. And of course, as I grew up, and I started working in sports writing. I um, met Bertie on many, many occasions. And believe it or not, he still remembered coming to my house. He even described my mum's wood panelling in the living room, <laughs> which was rather embarrassing for me. Anyway, Bertie Old, uh, may you rest in peace having died last weekend at the age of 83. Uh, another line laid to rest. Um, not too many left. Told a, a great story about how... Um when they were in the the tunnel for that uh, European Cup final with um, Internazionale, um, he started singing the the Celtic song. And as uh, his account goes, they had Inter beaten when they heard um, the the players um, coming together in that chorus in the in the tunnel before the match even started. Um, villain of the week. Uh, I'm going to go for the Senegalese officiating team um, who were in charge of Ghana's 1-0 victory over South Africa in the World Cup qualifiers. Always a penalty. Always. (laughs) You've seen it. Um, Yeah, one of the most ridiculous penalties awarded in in a football match, um, which was responsible for putting South Africa out of the game. Other decisions in the game including an offside one which uh, when South Africa scored 
that eliminated from the World Cup and the and the degree of anger is such that uh, the the chief executive of the South African Football Association has uh, made petitions um, to FIFA and um, CAF that the game be replayed, um, saying we suspect the game was fixed and our position is that it must be investigated. The conduct of the match officials left much to be desired and we want both CAF and FIFA to investigate. There's history of this in... Um, in African qualifiers and that they have had games replayed because of um, poor officiating and decision-making. In fact, a, a South African qualifying match was was uh, determined to be replayed. So fascinating to see if um, the South Africans will win on this one. And and I think, yeah, that the decisions were so bad, they deserve to have the, the opportunity to replay that game um, for such a big prize as going to the World Cup. Indeed, certainly is the case. So that has been uh, the Transforming the Podcast, first one of the week. We'll be back with you later in this week. Uh, Please do engage with us on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We are at Transfer Podcast. Search us out on YouTube, Transforming the Podcast. And uh, we shall look forward to uh, being with you again. And until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey!